You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Today, as we're trekking through the Gospel of John, we're finding ourselves in chapter 12, verses 12 to 26, and we're going to be talking about choosing the painful will of God. Here's my thesis, that the difference between where you are and what God has intended for you is oftentimes a path of pain. That's a really encouraging word, isn't it? Well, there's more. And how much pain you are willing to endure will determine how far you will go. Now, some of you right now, you're facing great pain. Maybe emotional, maybe financial, maybe spiritual, maybe physical, maybe relational. Most times, that's not brought on by God. God allows it as a way of preparing us, maturing us into the next level of his will for our lives. So here's what you need to know as Christians. We don't choose pain, but we choose God's will even if it includes pain. And the result is, as you and I have to make a decision, as pain increases in our lives, do I worship comfort or do I worship Christ? If I worship Christ, I will continue to follow him even through the pain to the other side. But if I choose to worship comfort, it's denying Christ at all costs because I want to alleviate the pain. The result of all of that is that we're here because that's where Jesus is in this pathway in in John's gospel. So the storyline of John up to this point is that Jesus is a young man. He's, uh, He's healthy. He's been doing public ministry for about three years, and he knows that he's about to be murdered. This is his final week, the last days of Jesus from now to the end of John's gospel. The Jews have uh, a lot of holidays that they celebrate, but here in these last days, it's that they're getting ready for the season of Passover. Now, among all the holidays that they celebrate, the three major ones are Passover, Pentecost, and Festival of Tabernacles, or Feast of Booths. And all three of those It is required of every able-bodied male Jew to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because that's where the temple is, the presence of God. And what's supposed to be surrounding the presence of God are the people of God. The city of Jerusalem on a normal first century uh, is population of uh, several hundred thousand people. But during these high holy days when people from all over come, We're talking a few million people. So you can imagine the atmosphere and the religious fervor as people show up, oftentimes not just the males in the family, but they're having their families in tow. And the city of Jerusalem is packed with people. The point of the celebration of Passover is to sacrifice a lamb in the place of the sinner. And you do that in the presence of God. Well, the first century historian, Josephus, a Jewish historian, records 
that upwards of 250,000 lambs are sacrificed during Passover each year. That's a river of blood flowing from the temple. Because the wage of sin is death, and the unblemished lamb comes as a substitute in place of the sinner. Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem. And there at this point is a bounty on his head. And he has courageously stepped forward. And he is going to walk the path of pain that is set before him. And and let me say this. In a few weeks, it's going to be awesome for Jesus. He's going to return back to his home in heaven, back on a throne. He's going to be worshipped by angels. He's going to hear the Father say, well done, good and faithful servant. After he's been betrayed by Judas Iscariot. After he's had his reputation maligned by false accusations, after he has gone through a series of sham trials, after he has been beaten beyond recognition, after he has been crucified publicly, openly, shamefully. What does this say to us? It says that the will of God is often traveled first on a path of pain. Let's pick up the story. This is John 12, verse 12. The next day, the great, ca- the great crowd that had come for the festival, again, that's Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So the crowd is buzzing. There's great anticipation of Jesus' arrival. Now, here's the cultural context. The Jews at this point are being ruled over by the Roman government. Now, the Jews have their own laws, but many of them are in conflict with the laws of the Roman government. Think of it this way. How many of you don't like your tax money spent in America for some of the things that are being spent on as a Christian? Because when you live in a country that doesn't strictly obey the Bible, as a believer, it's frustrating. But you see what the Jewish people wanted was political deliverance. And when they're going to be crying out in the parade, we're going to be hearing about in just a moment. They're looking for a king, a national political savior. In our day, this would be like Jesus showing up and we'd all say, man, he should run for president. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, which means save us now. There's a sense of urgency. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. It's their way of saying, this is who we're voting for. Now, here's the big idea. More people are interested in, concerned about the political than they are the spiritual. Today, trendy news stories are not all about Jesus. Jesus. Very few would be. What are they mostly about? The politics. And I can tell you there is no encouragement apart from the kingdom of God. And so what we need to do before we wake up first thing in the morning and rely on on news apps or turn on the TV to hear bad news, we also need to realize that we need to open the Bible and get good news. So these people are saying, Jesus, you would be awesome at politics. And Jesus wants to make it clear. I didn't come for a nation. I came for all nations. 
I didn't come just to bless your nation. I came to bring a kingdom that rules over every nation. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What they're saying is, we have a political and national vision, so let's use Jesus to get at what we want politically and nationally. The parade continues. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. The command that is heard in that statement, fear not. How many of you struggle with fear, anxiety, worry? The number one command in the Bible is fear not. Think of it this way. God has put a lot of commands in the Bible. But the one that's most frequently repeated is fear not. Why do you think it is that God has to say it so often? It's because we need to hear it so often. Let me explain to you how fear works, because I think there's many of us who are experts on this subject. Picture what could be an avalanche. So you look way up on the top of a mountain that's covered with snow until it isn't. Something breaks loose. A tremor happens. And the question is, will it settle or will it continue? And if it continues, you get an avalanche. And it picks up tremendous momentum and and strength. And if you've ever seen video clips of an avalanche, what happens to everything in its path? It gets buried. Here's what fear does. Something breaks loose in your life. Something shifts and you start to look and you think, oh no, the avalanche is coming. Sometimes the avalanche doesn't come. Sometimes it looks like it's coming, things settle and everything's okay. But other times you're like, it's getting worse. It's coming, I I can't avoid it. This could be physical, it could be financial, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual, it could be marital, it could be parental. For those of you who have had an avalanche break loose somewhere in your life, if you see any movement, your mind automatically goes to fear, worry, concern, stress, anxiety. These people have a lot to worry about. You, as people, have a lot to worry about. But Jesus would say, fear not, do not be afraid. Now, you can hear that one of two ways, as strictly a command or as an invitation. As a command, it means this is what you have to do. As an invitation, it's what you get to do. I believe when Jesus would say, fear not, it's an invitation for you to be in a relationship with him so that when even if things are not okay, you'll still be okay. How does this get articulated? In the passage, it says, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. So let's talk about that for a moment. How many of you have daughters? (laughs) John, you better raise your hand. (laughs) All right, next question. How many of you love your daughters? 
All right, yes, yes, yes. As many of you know, I've got two daughters. How do you think I feel about my girls? I love them. They are 33 and 31 now with families of their own. But I remember when they first were born and there was a lot to learn. And I remember holding them and thinking, man, this is amazing. And and as I held them and and prayed over them, and and I all of a sudden realized there is, (laughs) I'm more aware of, of all the dangers in the world than I ever had been before especially the night Jordan was born. Desert storm was breaking out that night. But it wasn't just a war that was happening halfway around the world. Driving each of them home from the hospital, I realized that every other driver on the road is evil (laughs) and violent, and they should have stayed home until I got mine home. They've always had my heart, and God loves you with a father's heart. God loves you as a father loves his daughter, and that's awesome. And any time a child of God cries out to God the Father, he is present to help, to love, and to serve that child. You see, it's not the absence of problems. It's the presence of the Lord that's the key to a healthy life. There have been avalanches in my life, and and when I really seek the presence of God, there comes a peace that transcends all understanding, and this is where Jesus is going. So the text says, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion, there's a lot of comfort there, and it continues, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's Now, you and I might not be aware of this, but that is a direct quote from the Old Testament prophecy, Zechariah 9.9, which reads this way. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is hundreds of years before Jesus ever came So the promise was given, your king is coming. How will you know when it's him? Because he's going to show up in Jerusalem riding on a what? A donkey. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And why a donkey, by the way? Because it was a symbol of peace. And what is Jesus' ultimate purpose in riding into Jerusalem so that you and I can have peace with God? This is how he's going to accomplish it, by substituting himself for all the ways that our sin has built a wall between us and God. And once you have peace with God, you have the peace of God. Once your sins are forgiven by Jesus, you can have peace with God, and then the Holy Spirit brings you the peace of God so that you can continue to walk, even though an avalanche may be coming at you, and you can say, I fear not because I am a child who is greatly loved, and the Prince of Peace is going to bring his peace to me. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And if you don't know Jesus... You need to give your sin to him so you can receive his peace. 
And then you'll be walking through this life, especially through pain, inviting the Prince of Peace to come and bring the peace of God. And once you have done that, you have peace with God. This is a major step toward dealing with our trouble, our trials, our trauma. What are you afraid of? Who are you afraid of? Are you inviting Jesus in? The story continues. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. It's like if you ever read something in the Bible and you go, man, I'm not sure. I, I don't get it. Until maybe a little later, something in your life, some set of circumstances have lined up with the teaching of the Bible. And you're like, oh, that's what that means. So his disciples did not understand this at first. Only after Jesus was glorified, that means after his death, after his resurrection, the light went on. After he was glorified, did they then realize that these things had been written about him? These things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees, now let's talk about this group of religious leaders again. They started off great. They were the Bible people. They ended up becoming the religious people. The problem with religious people is that they first take the Bible seriously, but then they start to take themselves too seriously. And they start to think, well, God needs me. God only works through me in an almost equal to God sort of way. That's wrong. We're supposed to be humble, not proud. We're supposed to help people, not just criticize them. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. It's like they're saying, we're tumbling, he's trending. We're losing, he's winning. Now, a couple of things here. And by a couple, I mean at least four. Number one, it's an honor to be a witness of God's work. We saw God do amazing things. God works, we witness. That's what a witness is. We see God at work and then we report what God has done. That's what a witness is and does. So here's what I want you to know. God is doing some amazing stuff in your life and you need to talk about it because other people need to hear about it. Now, some of you may say, but man, this is a really hard time. But there are other people who are going through a similarly hard time. So tell them about what God is showing you. Tell them about what God is doing to you and through you and for you. Tell them about what God is teaching you. Number two, most people love the gifts, not the giver. We were told that the people were following him because of the sign that he had done in raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus also fed people. Not everyone automatically became a Christian. Jesus healed many people. Not automatically did everyone become a believer. So let me tell you this. James, 
Jesus' brother, says, every good gift comes from above. Here's what that means. Every good thing you've got in your life, whether you acknowledge Jesus or not, it comes from him. You're like, I sure got lucky. No, you got blessed. I, I sure was fortunate. No, you got grace. That's how this works. You've got breath, that's a gift. You live on this planet, that's a gift. You have family, you have food, you have work tomorrow. Those things are gifts. Everyone and everything that you have around your life is a gift from God. And what's amazing is the whole world is enjoying these gifts, but very few are thanking the giver. Many people follow Jesus just because he was giving stuff away. He's feeding people, so he's giving away free meals. He was healing people, so free health care. Number three, if you worship power, then Jesus is a problem. Here's these religious leaders. We're losing. He's winning because the whole world has gone after him. The religious leaders are basing their leadership on power and control. And now that power and control is transitioning from them to Jesus. And if you worship power, then Jesus is going to be a problem because he's the only one who wants the power. Now, there's a leadership lesson for here, for here for us as well. All of you are leaders in some capacity. You have some sphere of influence on others. Maybe your parents or you are coaches or teachers or ministry leaders or business leaders or, or in a social setting. And there is a big difference between control and influence. Control is based on fear and punishment. Influence is based on love and service. Jesus comes, and he doesn't lead like these religious leaders. He's not controlling anyone. He's influencing. He's not working out of fear. He's working out of love. He's not punishing people. He's saving people. And here's what's true. Most people, myself included, will work a whole lot harder from love than we do from fear. Number four, God is always at work. Sometimes you just don't see it until later. I want to give you some encouragement here. These are the disciples that he's having this part of this conversation with and part of what John is exposing that they don't understand. These are the disciples. Jesus handpicked them. For three years, they've been around him. You think they would know better. But they don't understand at first until Jesus is glorified, until he has died and then risen back to life, that they get it. Now it makes sense. How many of you in your life, you thought God was gone? You thought, you know what, God checked out of my life a long time ago. But if you truly look back, you can, you'll say, actually, you know what? He was alive. He was there. He was at work. I just didn't see it. 
How many of you have had that experience? Maybe even right now, you're going through what you would call a desert season. It's dry. There's no life. It doesn't feel like God is at work. I've got good news for you. Jesus is at work in your life. Some of you may say, well, I just don't see it. I'm saying you will see it. That's what it means to live by faith until our faith becomes sight. God is at work in your life, even if you don't see it. And faith is trusting that God is at work until you see it. One more section of reading for us today. Jesus is about to enter on the scene, then into Jerusalem. Here comes the Prince of Peace. Uh, He's soon to return to the kingdom of peace. But first, he's going to bring the peace of God with him on a path of pain. Some of you know exactly what that's like. Here's how this story continues. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. So this is good news. We're finally included. Greeks are the non-Jewish people. So that means us. They came to Philip, this is the next verse, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Now, this is awesome. Just so you know, there are people all around you who want to see Jesus. A recent poll said that 62% of non-church goers are interested in a discussion about Jesus. They're open to it. That means almost two-thirds of the people around you. So where you live, where you work, there are people who want to see Jesus. And as you witness to what he is doing in your life, they'll want to know more about him. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus knows the will of the Father. And just within days, he's going to go to the cross and he's going to take our place for our sin and now his hour has come. The point is simply this. We need to know both God's will and God's timing. How many of you like me are impatient? You know God's will. You think, man, this is what God wants me to do. But you also got to know God's timing. Is this the right time for it? Some of you have gotten ahead of God's timing. Maybe you've done that relationally. Maybe you've done that vocationally. Maybe you've done that financially. You've got ahead of the Lord. Again, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So some things about who Jesus is. Number one, Jesus is the son of man. They're looking at Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, you're riding to Jerusalem on a donkey. Who are you? 
He says, I'm the son of man. Some 70 times in the gospel, he uses that title for himself. It's his most favorite title for himself. It comes from Daniel chapter 7. We've looked at it before. Let's look at it again. Daniel writes, in my vision at night, I looked. So now God is revealing to Daniel something about in the future. Uh, In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. I saw someone who was God, but he looked like a man. But the Bible declares that God is not like a man. God is eternal. God is invisible. God is spirit. But in Jesus Christ, God becomes a man. Emmanuel, God with us. You see, God knows that we can't go up to him, so he comes down to us. God knows that we cannot find him. So he sends his son on a rescue mission to find us. And Daniel in this amazing vision is trying to understand this revelation about this person. So Daniel says, I I saw before me one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and was led into his presence. So this one like a man, Jesus Christ, goes before God the Father, and the Father is going to send the Son on a mission to earth. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus shows up and they ask, are you here for our nation? He says, I'm here for every nation. Are you here for our time? I'm here for every time. Are you here for our kind? I'm here for all kind. I am the king who brings the kingdom, a kingdom that never ends, a kingdom ruled by God. And when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and calls himself the son of man, he is declaring God is now walking in this planet that he made in order to save a people who have made themselves enemy, enemies of his The second thing we hear about Jesus from this passage is that Jesus is to be glorified. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The concept of glory means weightiness, preeminence. It means that it outweighs everyone and everything else in your life. That means that Jesus Christ is to be the center of your universe. What happens is we take good things and put them in God's place then bad things happen. By definition, that's what an idol is. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. This could be your spouse, your health, your job, your comfort, your beauty, your success, your income, your GPA, your reputation. When good things take God's place, bad things happen. Some of you wonder, why hasn't Jesus given me what I want? 
Because he doesn't want to empower you to worship your idol. Jesus at the center. Your worship is to be around Jesus. Your marriage is to be around Jesus. Your family is to be around Jesus. Your job, your, your income, your home, your, your reputation, your identity is around Jesus. Who you are, what you believe, how you behave, how you spend, what you do is around Jesus. Jesus at the center. Jesus is the priority. He is the beginning. He is the end. You see, the reason we get together as a church is not because God needs us to get together for him, but we need us to get together. Because the center of our life is always a war. Someone or something is trying to replace Jesus. And you and I come here to remind ourselves that nothing makes sense until Jesus is in the center. Number three, Jesus' death brought us life. He says it this way, uh, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In other words, it bears much fruit. Jesus knows that he is just days away from dying on the cross in our place for our sin. One thing's death will mean life for the many. The Apostle Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians 15, talks about the resurrection. And he says that God's people are sown. You know what that is? That's farming language. It's similar to what Jesus is saying, that when it seems like nothing has happened, you plant the seed, you can keep looking back at it hour after hour. <laughs> How come nothing's coming up? Well, tomorrow, pff, nothing. It seems like nothing is taking place. And one day, the dirt gives way to life. How many of you have lost someone that you love? Jesus is going to die. His body is going to be buried. It's going to be a few days. But then he comes back. And he is alive. And he's walking around. And he's hanging out with them for 40 days. And what he says here is that my death brings you life. I'm the first fruits. I go first. And if you trust in me, then you will be raised as I am raised. I need you to have hope. Sin brings death. But Jesus' death conquers sin so that you and I can have life. Last point, number four, those who follow and serve Jesus will be honored by the Father forever. Jesus says this, last verse again, whoever, that includes you, serves me must follow me. That even includes choosing the path of pain if it means you're still living in God's will. That's the path that Jesus had to go on. For you and I, sometimes we will be led down a path of pain. And he says that where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. 
What that means is that everything you do for Jesus, every act of kindness, every giving of forgiveness, every generous contribution, every prayer uttered, every person helped, every task completed for Jesus, the Father will honor you. You will stand before God. And as Jesus says elsewhere, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Your life is eternal. Your serving is eternal. Your following is eternal. Your reward is eternal. It is helpful to have that long view in life, in in view, because when you're in the middle, it gives you hope to realize what awaits you at the end. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, you need to know that because of sin, you have declared war against God And you've made yourself an enemy of God. But Jesus came humbly to die so that you could have peace with God. And I so hope that if you don't know him, my prayer is that you will pray for him to come into your life. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.